You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. You're listening to Fisher Family Ghosts. A Six Feet Under companion podcast. I'm Sam Dingman. I'm Adrian Bain. Moira Rose is in the house, ladies and gentlemen. No, Adrian Bain is, bitch. <laughs> Do you know who I am? Honestly, given the amount of television that we have watched during coronavirus, yeah. you and our TV friends, the line has gotten blurry. Or like, it's kind of one and the same at this point. I'm... Just kidding. I could never, no matter how three-dimensional the character, never confuse you with one of them because I discover a new dimension of you every day. Ooh. Some of them terrify me. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Real phrase Adrian just told me. Soon you will discover that I travel to feel like my life matters. (laughs) say that and i didn't know what to make of that (laughs) i know wait i know we were like let's not tangent too much i am just curious if fellow people who are in quarantine and slowly tiptoeing out of quarantine i feel like we now have to negotiate things about a relationship that we never had to negotiate before of like going out and like hanging out with friends and not hanging out with each other this is a tangent this is a tangent. I will just say, Adrian went to an open mic last night Oof. and performed. Yeah, performed. We can end it at that. I d- well, sure. It was an open mic. That's why you go. I know. I stayed here, and I wasn't like freaked the- out at all to be by myself. I was so glad when you came home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it felt really nice to, like, come home to you instead of, like, Always being with Oh, you. good. No. More of this. That's not what I meant. I mean, it's great. It's great both ways. But there yes, is, yes. I think it's just like we haven't gotten like, we've kind of talked about this, where because we started dating so like close to the pandemic and yes. then just decided to live together indefinitely, that there is a little chunk of, I think sparkly time that we didn't get that typically happens in like the very beginning of the relationship where there's still that like, Oh, we don't see each other every day and I'm excited to see you and I have to wait. I have to wait for you. Like the waiting. But part of me is like, fuck the waiting. Being next to you all the time is great. Also, it's hard to have sparkly time when you're like, I wonder if the world is ending. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 That's like kind of puts a damper on it. Yeah. Anyway, things that don't put a damper down on us are our emails. That's right. I thought you were about to say the characters of Six Feet Under <laughs> because they definitely put a damper. This was a sad one. This was a very heavy episode, Yeah, but we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. First, we would like to thank regular emailer Schrodinger's cat for sending us another doozy. It goes like this. This is in response to season two, episode 10 or episode from last week. Hi, guys. Excellent analysis of the show as always. Thank you, Schrodinger. I'm quite interested to see how a first-time viewer like Adrian reacts to the conclusion of this season, which was identified by show creator Alan Ball as essentially the end of Act 1 
of Six Feet Under, Season 3 and 4 being considered Act 2, and Season 5, of course, as the final Act 3. One small thing I wanted to add to the discussion of The Secret, which was the symbolism of the opening death that wasn't addressed specifically this week. The deceased was, of course, hauling out recyclable material when he passed, which in turn fits in well with the rich ideas of rebirth and reincarnation innate to Buddhism, which, of course, he and his family practiced. Audible gasp. Arguably a bit too on the nose in hindsight, but maybe still subtle enough to fall under the category of interesting symbolic writing. I'll lean towards the latter due to my strong bias for the show. This episode continue, contained one of my favorite personal one of my personal favorite segments of the entire series, the montage that played over the haunting chants of the monks at the funeral. It's one of the things I always felt the show was able to do well, create emotional and memorable scenes with its relatively limited use of music, at least compared to other shows, to effectively enhance a given scene. There have been a couple of such instances up to this point, and there will be more. But this was always one of my favorites, as already stated. I'm going to be as carefully vague as I can regarding spoilers, but I can't help a little tease. Adrian made a bit of an offhanded wish discussing some of the characters based on what she's seen up to this point in the show. I will just finish with that tired old cliche of being careful what you wish for. Oh, no. That is two weeks in a row where emails, in addition to containing lots of great points, have ended with incredible sign-offs. Because mm-hmm. last week we had... Stay six feet above, stay, yes. which we'll get to that in a second. Could, should I say stay five feet five above? <laughs> I just, I, I'm not six. You know, you're six, you're six one. So yes. I just, I don't know, it's a little clunky. No, we just need to get you a pair of lifts, some five inch lifts. There are some heels that I'm like eye contact with you. What do you make of this idea? Well, let's start with the Buddhism. And the idea of reincarnation and recycling. I thought that was I think that's so a beautiful connection. On. I thought that was beautiful. It's a beautiful connection. And just to go back to the scene at the end, um, that I can't remember if it's part of the montage Schrodinger is talking about or not, but where Nate is outside pouring the water on the tree. I loved that, yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah. I would. I did not think of this until Schrodinger's email, but in the vein of recycling, we were talking last week about how it was about parts of ourself that get recycled. Mm-hmm. But I think it could also be about being stuck in the same cycles. Mm-hmm. And that Nate, when he's visited by all of these ghost children, is realizing that he is in a cycle of behavior that he made in a way that he hadn't reckoned with, I think prior to that episode. Sure. That this isn't just the situation with Lisa. Isn't like a one-off whoops. Yeah. This has happened before. Well, I'm also curious. I don't know about in Buddhist tradition, but I am curious that water is obviously a sign of purification. Mm -hmm. And that, Mm -hmm. so when Nate was pouring it out, that kind of in what you just said, he was purifying him from this cycle. He was recognizing the cycle and maybe purifying himself from it to get out of it. Yeah. Because in this episode, I think he steps out of the cycle. He he breaks the cycle. Let's hope. But he breaks the cycle, but he is prompted to break the cycle because he's attracted to Ari, who is probably the kind of person that he would ordinarily pursue and perhaps make another one of these mistakes with. Hmm. 
So in a way, it is also part of the same cycle. I also want to know what you make of this idea of the seasons being acts in the play. Oh, I love that. I mean, it's hard for me to say it, to analyze it and look at it right now because I, I get, I'm only right so far into it. But I, I, I will keep that lens in mind. I am always so curious to know, you read stories all the time about how people make TV shows and they have no idea how long the TV show is going to run for. Yeah. And obviously writers have these grand designs on epic stories that they want to tell. Yeah. And I remember hearing recently in an interview that David Chase, who created The Sopranos, definitely thought it was not going to go past one season. And so really? he just thought to himself, he had no idea who was creating possibly the greatest TV show of all time. Right. And <laughs> do, do, do. so he just thought, I'll just cram all the stuff I want. They're going to let me make 12 no matter what. So I'm just going to put all the best or 13, however many are in the first season of The Sopranos. I'm just going to put everything in. And if it gets canned, it gets canned. But at least I put all the stuff in that I wanted to put in, which of course ended up being the key to the longevity of the series. How many seasons was it? Well, it depends how you count. Oh, right. Because there's like a weird... There's a season six, part one and part two. And they're like not the same length. And they're not the same length. And part two came out like a year after part one or something. But... I believe, I don't know if David Simon is on the record as saying this or if it's just something people think, but there are a lot of people who think that The Wire is broken into five seasons because each season mimics the the change in action in the story of a five-act Shakespearean tragedy. Whoa. And, I mean, I think that analysis holds up, but I don't know. My theory with The Wire is that he didn't think he was going to get to go past season three because hot take for any of you wire fans out there would be interested to know what you think. FFG at WALT.FM. You could end the wire after season three and it would be a perfect series. I love the five act play idea though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Question answer. If this was Shakespeare, mm-hmm. which is a little bit on both of our brains. Fact. I read Hemnet. If anyone else has, do you think that this is a Shakespearean tragedy that we're watching? I can't answer that without giving away. It's not a comedy. There's not enough cross-dressing. <laughs> it's not a comedy. In the vein of, I think we've talked about this once, where you said that you had a music teacher that was like every musician, who was like every musician is always imitating these five people. Yes. It was like Ella Fitzgerald, Elvis, Frank Sinatra, and... Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, Elvis, Louis Armstrong, and Billie Holiday. Right. I'm curious if people, if playwrights do that with Shakespeare. Mm. If like you can really boil down. I bet it's Shakespeare and the Greeks. I bet the Greeks are also. Mm -hmm. I had an acting teacher who changed my whole life who said, among other things, all great drama begins in the family. He said, you're taking on the Greeks? Don't think of it as a Greek tragedy. Think of it as a family story. You're taking on Shakespeare, same thing. Once you do that, it all makes sense. You don't think that's a fuck? Oh my God. Dingman. Dingman. Is that not a breadcrumb on the way, on the path to family ghosts? Oh, it absolutely is. It it absolutely is. I, I wrote that in the pitch document for family ghosts. 
my whole thought for family ghosts was it came out of that sentiment and six feet under and thinking like these stories are the ones that feel most resonant. That's why Shakespeare is so eternal. That's why the Greeks are so eternal. Mm -hmm. And what would happen if you removed the fictional layer and looked for the same dramatic scope Mm -hmm. in the stories of real families? I have another podcast. It's called Family Ghosts. <laughs> you can find it wherever you're listening to this. Okay. Thank you, Schrodinger, so much for thank writing you, to us. Thank you, Now, I also wanted to say that we heard from uh, a new listener named, or someone who hasn't written to us before, I mean, named Joanna. What's up, jo- Joanna? Joanna writes, Hi, Sam and Adrian. My name is Joanna. I am Portuguese, and I am listening directly from Lisbon. <gasps> I just wanted to let you know that I love your podcast. It keeps me company while cleaning the house or running errands. Oh my God. My boyfriend and I just binge watched Six Feet Under for the first time. And although I wasn't immediately hooked, now I can say it became one of my favorite shows ever. And with the best series finale of all times. Get ready for that, Adrian Bain. That was me adding, so get ready for that, Adrian Bain. Joanna did not write that. I was sort of missing the characters, so I researched for related podcasts and found you. Love listening to your theories and remembering what my thoughts were when I watched just the same episodes a few weeks ago. Thank you for your email, Joanna. I think that Thank is you, so Joanna. cool. We have internet. We have an international audience. <laughs> that is incredible. We are global. What I like. What I like about that is that the story is reverberating in your memory as you're listening to these conversations that we have rather than something you have just watched recently. Mm -hmm. I'm doing that with the Sopranos right now. Hence my mention of David Chase earlier. I haven't watched the Sopranos in a long time, but the characters are so alive and the world is still so rich in my mind Mm -hmm. that hearing incidents referred to by the two hosts of the show makes me feel like they're talking about friends I haven't seen in a long time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember when Christopher thought he could be a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. It's probably because you're really lonely. Well, I also uh-huh. haven't seen friends in a long time. Yeah, you haven't seen friends in a long time. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. But I also think this goes to the point that Kelly was making last week mm-hmm. about why some shows stay. Yeah. And I think it's because... Is, if, she, is she the one who compared it to like a lifetime... like? The Honeymooners versus... Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because I think what a really gifted writer has done, this is goes to that point we were making last week about that shows now are moving away from character and more into concept. Mm-hmm. And if you invest in characters the way that Six Feet Under, The Wire, Sopranos, all these shows that we name check all the time on this show, Big Love, Hey Yo, Sup. Um, Mad Men has come up a lot. If you invest in characters like that, people miss them. Yeah. Because they feel like people, I guess. Yeah. Probably not that deep of a point, but it felt warm to say. Well, I think it's, I'm curious as to why there's a pivot away from that. I feel that way in Hacks, though. Hacks is so brand new HBO show, so funny with Gene Smart and Hannah. Ein bitter. No, sorry. <laughs> Wait, I. Oh, I what does that mean? That means one, please. Ein bitter. I know. Sorry, my German is coming out. I'm so cultured. Um, 
<laughs> like yogurt, this one. <laughs> Live, active. I'm fucking great for your gut, man. <laughs> I'm going to keep you healthy and regular. Um, <laughs> <laughs> A new low has been reached on the program. Wait, no, I wanted to get her name right and I thought I had it. No, no, you're right. It's Hannah Einbitter. <laughs> no, it's not. Is it? It is a hard to remember name. It's Einbinder. Einbinder, like a binder that you put all your papers in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like a binder full of women. That's how I'll remember it from now on. Gay. Well, whatever it takes, I guess. Yeah. What oh, were you right, saying about sorry. facts? So my point was, I love that show because it is so character driven. Yes. It's very, it's not just like, Oh, here's two funny women. It's like you, they really do get to like some core with both of them. Yes. And it has, it's very funny, but it does have really nice deeper moments too. So I think that that's one, but I'm just curious as to why TV shows are becoming more just concept based. It's easier to write, probably. I don't know. I do think... Well, I know... So I used to be the producer of a podcast called the Vulture TV Podcast. It was with television critics from Vulture, the website. And one of the things they would talk about a lot... And these were... This was their opinion and also a consensus amongst other writers that they talked to. Is that there was a sense around 2016, 17 that people were starting to get tired of these dark brooding flawed men, your Don Draper's, your Walter White's, your Tony Soprano's and valorizing them for their very toxic behavior, Mm. which is, I mean, it was a very interesting conversation to listen to. That's a fair point. And, So I wonder maybe if people who create shows recognized that shift or maybe studios started looking for things that were a little bit less anchored in that kind of. Oh, that's interesting. But, you know, it's interesting, like Russian Doll, for example, Mm -hmm. one of the most lauded shows of the last few years. Love it. It's it's an awesome show, but it's way more of an idea idea. than it is. Like the characters in that show... She's just trying in to... service of the concept of the show. Yeah. All right. One last email from host in remote Tracy, or as she puts it, unofficial co-host. Tracy writes, unofficial co-host here with this week's input. But first, let's clear some things up. One, the question has been posed as to my age. And yes, I am closer to Sam's age. Plus add in quotes, a few years. Well, Tracy. I don't, well, you know, I was about to say, like, isn't this a weird thing? When somebody says, I am this age, we, our instinctive response is to say, like, well, but you seem younger, as though younger is inherently better. Maybe Tracy doesn't feel that way. Yeah, we live in the cult of the youth. We do. And we don't have to participate in that bullshit, man. (sighs) Thank God. Does that mean I can stop buying anti-wrinkle cream? Yes. I want to see that texture on your face. Do you want to see a lot of little lines on my face? Bad nuance. Do you want to see me get old? Yes. Because when, okay, a bunch of things just happened. (laughs) One, when, I always feel like 
people are always like, oh, I have lines at the corners of my eyes. I'm always like, doesn't that mean you have smiled a lot in your life and laughed? That is what, because that's when those lines appear. Either that or you squint a lot because you're often peering into the distance, but that means you're looking ahead towards the future. So no matter what, lines at the corners of your eyes are good. Also, you're going to be beautiful at every age, I can tell. Thanks, honey. Tracy continues. Number two, as your unofficial co-host, I give you permission to officially use... Oh, wait. As your unofficial... (laughs) It's funnier than that. As your unofficial co-host, I give you permission to unofficially use the until next time stay stay six feet above sign off. Thank you, Tracy. Yes. We shall be doing it. Yes, we'll do it on everyone. It's so good. Okay. Tracy also writes, in reference to the opening scene, I as well had picked out that the trash had spilled out and perhaps not as deep a thought as you both have had. I thought when Brenda was in with her therapist that she was spilling all of her trash. Ooh. That she, is true. Well, she tried to. But then she put the lid back on she it. She fucking put the lid back on. That's right. And then she duct taped it and super glued it together. And voiced over what was actually happening. <laughs> she voiced over she her trash. She relabeled the trash like boutique clothing. Right. right. Tracy also says, I apologize for the terrible play on words, but Brenda's behavior would be considered trash. trashy. Brenda is, yeah. well, we're going to talk about it in this episode. Yeah. Adrian asked a very provocative question while we were watching the show, and we will get into it. Keith versus David in the relationship and trading roles. Tracy says, I think in any good and healthy relationship, what we do is when one is down, the other lifts up. I think that this is what I think that this is what we are seeing here. At least I hope. I always aspire to bring you down to my level. Am I doing something wrong? Well, you are failing because I am ecstatic at all times in your presence. So sorry, mission not accomplished. Oh, high five to nobody. <laughs> Keith turning in Carla versus not turning in David and Claire. Keith is the only constant and good role model for Taylor in her life, and he knows that. When Taylor was aware of what her mother did, Keith had to demonstrate for her that even when it's hard, you do the right thing. Wow. Not to mention, he has more than likely let Carla slide on a lot of things prior to this, and at some point, enough is enough. He didn't turn in David or Claire because his role in their life is different than for Carla and Taylor. His role for them was to show trust and loyalty. Oh, yes, Tracy. This points at something that I hadn't considered until I just read this email, but this idea that Keith has probably spent his whole life with people seeing him as what they want him to be. Go further. Well, we turned him into a superhero yeah, because we were like, we need a well-adjusted character in this mess of a show. Yes. And then we were very disoriented when it turned out Keith also had problems. Yeah. (laughs) But... Keith also, you know, he's like very fit. Mm-hmm. He's like ripped. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah. Adrian's like, I've noticed. <laughs> and I feel like he has had to to do that in some ways because he's a cop. He's supposed to represent safety mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. But that means that he has also been made to feel like he can't have any vulnerability, which mm-hmm. is what David has been badgering him a lot, about yeah. a lot. And he can't protect himself from his own issues. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Can I also, can I say something really superficial? (laughs) Yes. Something I really like about this show is that it's not a lot of like classically beautiful people. Mm -hmm. Like it's all attractive-ish people. But they look like people. But they look like people. And it's also really, I like it more because it's set in Los Angeles. 
and LA were like my stereotype of Los Angeles people as a New Yorker is that they're all trying to look the same. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just really like, but yeah, Keith is absolutely the most beautiful one out of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so are like, you saying that you're grading Keith on a curve because mm-hmm. it's a show of people who are not as like traditionally attractive as other shows? Or are you saying that he would stand so out shallow. no matter what show that he was on? Putting you on the spot. Oh, no, I think he would stand out no matter what show. Are you hearing that, He's Keith like Charles? He's like a little bit more of my type. Than I am? Is it because I have too much hair? It's because I have too much hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go shave off all my hair and grow a mustache. Great. Uh, and in a moment, we will talk about season two, episode 11. Thank you to all of you for writing, as Thanks, always. guys. And if you would like to reach us, you can do that at ffg at walt dot fm. Welcome back to the show. I didn't shave off all my hair. You look different, though. Yes. It's because... Something's changed. I've joined the police force. Oh, well, that's kind of close <laughs> to, to what I meant to earn your love. <laughs> what have I done? Okay. Um, oh, my God. You as a cop is, like, a really funny idea. Oh, go ahead, sir. I understand that you were in a rush. You know what? I didn't even want to give you a ticket. Yeah. So let's just forget this happened. Oh my God, you should definitely be a cop. I'm kind of like Mrs. Collins. You challenge me Yo. at all. I rip up the lawsuit. I, That's we, how I roll as I a I really need to talk about that, but first. But first. The death. The death. Okay, so a woman gets a hot dog shoved down her gullet mm-hmm. in full form, mm-hmm. unchewed, and tentatively strangled. Yeah. Her getting like a phallic thing shoved down her throat. It's just the patriarchy telling women to be quiet. Was there patriarchy stuff in this one? Yes, there was. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. Every, the, the Russian guys keep calling yeah. Ruth a stupid woman. Yeah. Ooh, I started that as a joke, but now I realize it had validity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fucking patriarchy, man. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I am kind of curious what you felt. The show kind of starts off with this lawsuit from Mrs. Collins. Mm-hmm. And she's, I, I'm just a little confused by all of that because she asked to see the body. She obviously was like under duress and had been in a very abusive relationship. But I'm kind of curious as to why she's like, oh, now I can sue you. I think Croner had something to do with it. Yeah. I think Kroner... I just am like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like a Mitzi move to me to go through a list of all the funerals that have happened recently at the Fishers, call up those people and say, hey, did anything weird happen at that funeral? And just because they're looking for something to try to sue them out of business. Oh, interesting. But in terms of this... Because she tore up. Because then David comes over 
And he's like, you're ruining my business. Mm-hmm. And she just rips it up and is like, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. But he like verbally abuses her. Right. Well, yeah, it was ugly. It was really ugly. Did. But I also thought it was interesting from David's character standpoint. What he's saying is you can't be a doormat. Yeah. And obviously so- she was in no we don't know anything about their marriage, but like she was being abused by somebody. That's not being a doormat. That's being taken advantage of. Yeah. But in terms of Edith Kirky's death at the beginning, David, I think it's very interesting that when Vanessa and her friend come in and the woman has died, they say, oh my God, a complainer like you. Something, something, something. Yeah, They're like, you're not going to give up so quickly a complainer like you. And that's what she was doing at the beginning. She was yeah. complaining. Mm. She was yelling. Mm, so much pain. And uh, there was a lot of stuff about depression in this episode. Yeah. And it seemed like there was something with Edith about, I am unhappy and I'm, I need somebody to listen. Mm-hmm. Why won't anybody listen? Or end it. She was like, Lord, help, take me soon. Yeah. 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 And if we buy the idea that the roommate did kill her, then it seems like the impetus was stop talking about your problems. Nobody wants to hear about your problems. Yeah. And we see Nate finally come clean about his secret. I think the best analogy is the most analogous situation is Keith's dad and and Keith. Mm Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Collins and David, because David says to her, and it is, as we were saying, it's very cruel of him, but he says, you just have to speak up for yourself and defend yourself. And it doesn't matter what other people think, like you're responsible for your own happiness. And then he wants Keith to do the same thing. And he says that to him immediately after he gets this lawsuit ripped up. Yeah. And Keith takes it to heart. He finally does that with his dad. Claire is trying to talk about how sad she is. We saw her do it in the last episode. Yeah. And Ruth says to her, to Claire's counselor, she says, she has no idea how lucky she has it. She has it. Like, yeah. The subtext being, what does she have to complain about? Totally. But also, Ruth asks Claire directly, are you depressed? And Claire shuts it down. She's like, I'm not even going to answer that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Then something that was said that maybe did not want to be heard was the social worker telling Ruth, like, I think you're depressed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which she doesn't respond to. She doesn't. But you pointed out that Ruth, this entire episode, is trying to take care of people Mm -hmm. and they won't let her. Yeah. Just like... Maybe Ruth is then the one, she's the nurses. And she keeps trying to resuscitate, trying to resuscitate. Ooh, yes. she keeps getting canceled. She's fired. Mm -hmm. Mm Because Nikolai's not interested anymore. I loved and then was sad by the I love you mom scene. Because I think it was honest. I think that Claire was totally honest by being like, I love you and I'm scared to say that, and I don't know why. Ugh, that was so good. If we think about Claire's relationship to love, 
so far from what we've seen, a lot of the people that she has let herself fall in love with have betrayed her. Yeah. Not that I think she thinks Ruth will betray her, but... Her mom's different, though. Yeah, that's true. You just take her for... You just... Moms at a certain point are taken for granted. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah. I'm definitely guilty of it. Mm-hmm. I, I am, too. I was a terrible teen. I was a terrible teen. I, yes. I'm very... I have this bad tendency where if I get a text from my mom asking how I'm doing, because I haven't called it recently enough... Mm-hmm. I think, oh, I should not call her back right now, or I shouldn't text her back right now because she really wants me to call, so I'll just wait till I have time to call, and then we can have a really full conversation. Mm -hmm. And then that time never comes, and then days go by since I've responded to her text message. Oh, no. Because I'm trying to give her what I think she actually wants, but instead I'm giving her nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And. I, I don't I guess that's not really taking her for granted. That's just something I feel guilty about. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Can I also say this is something that my mom does. Now I I've, I've gone from being appreciative to critiquing her. Um where like my mom will sometimes answer the phone at like the worst moment. And part of me is like, Mom, just because it's there doesn't mean you have to answer it. Like you mm-hmm. can ignore like she'll answer it in like the car mm-hmm. or like when we're having a full car like she always answers the phone. But I also wonder if there's not some level on which, as a parent, yeah, the worst thing you can imagine is that your kid is calling because they're having some kind of crisis and you weren't there. Yeah. Like, you didn't answer the call. So you figure it's safer to just pick it up, even yeah. if it's not a good time. Yeah. Boy, moms are great. Oh, my God. You wanted to say something about Brenda and Nate. Okay, so let's talk about, I think Brenda has a little bit, after Nate tells her. Mm-hmm. About the child. Mm-hmm. Brenda has this moment, a little bit of shut the fuck up, at least how I interpreted it, which was, what am I even supposed to do with that information? Right. You know, and part of me was like, what is she supposed to do with that information? But it does like inherently affect her if they choose to have the child in their life, if, you know, they want to have like somewhat of a relationship with Lisa. So I am so curious about Brenda and Nate now because in the very beginning of this episode, they're sitting in front of the rabbi and they're very uncomfortable. Like I we I can tell just by their body language that they are not in sync and that their communication is really off and that they obviously haven't been honest with each other, but we have proof of that. So you can definitely tell that they're like not vibing with each other. Nate comes clean, but Brenda doesn't. Yeah. And part of me is like, Brenda is smart and I haven't seen this, but my inclination is how is she going to use this to her advantage? Cause now she has the upper hand, right? Because she has something over him. And unless she gets pregnant or an STI, she doesn't necessarily have any evidence that she's, Gone astray. Well, so this leads us to the provocative question that you asked in the middle of the episode. Would you like to restate that question? So my question is, and I don't have an answer for this, is it worse to have sex with, let's say, 10 anonymous people protected or have sex with one person and get that person pregnant when you are in a committed relationship? 
Brenda is very much in a mindset right now of fuck the pain away. Like she thinks that, oh my God, with her lying there on her stomach, which is a sex position we've never seen her in. Like she's completely submissive. She's like, just take me, just get it done and over with. She just doesn't want to feel anything or maybe she doesn't feel anything. And. Well, it's interesting because she told us in the last episode with Melissa that she was doing it because she wanted to feel alive and engaged in her life. Yeah. But in that moment that you're talking about, she's literally looking into the past. She literally is looking over into the eyes of her childhood version of herself, watching her. Why do we think she's having that flashback? Well, I think it has something to do with, I found it very transformative to my understanding of Brenda in the episode last week Mm -hmm. that in her fantasy conversation with Ruth, she said, the scariest thing is that there are no boundaries at all. Yeah. And so I think it's a realization. So the, the thing that we see her do right after this scene with these two guys is go to Nate and say, I need you. Yeah. Like I need, she says, you are a mess, but you're the most stable thing in my life or something like that. Yeah. And I think it was revelatory for her to go to that sex party to then have that memory of being a little kid and her parents having swinger parties in the living room Mm -hmm. and then to have this experience and realize what cycles to go back to. Go back to cycles. The cycles. What cycles she is repeating. Mm -hmm. And it's a little throwaway thing, but you hear... Margaret and Burns, her parents' voice in the swinger party scene, the mom says, Brenda, you're not supposed to be awake. We have company over. And Burns (laughs) says, don't stigmatize this for her. Right. Which is such an illustration of like, I think Brenda in the show we are meant to believe is like, no, that situation needed to be stigmatized for me, that you shouldn't have been doing that when I was asleep in the next room. Have her go over to a friend's house. Jesus Christ. Right. Wait, so to come back to, so all why of that. Is she, why, is she, why is this resurfacing now? Well, I think it's because the thing that dictated the rules of the road for Brenda before, I think, mm-hmm. was Billy. Billy was the, she made mm. all her choices based on, well, I have to be available for Billy. I have to be here for Billy. I have to be. Oh, wow. I have to be available to take care of him. There's no time for my own life and my own choices. And now with Billy out of the picture, she's like, what do I even want? Yeah. What do I, what do I even crave? What oh, do I even wow. care about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she needs Nate and she, to fill that role. But she also literally calls Billy and she's like, I need you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But part of me was like, Billy's not going to give her good advice. But she has no one else. I know. It's so sad. No one has friends. She friend broke up with Melissa. Claire kind of has a friend. Claire has, uh, um, Parker is pound for pound the best friend in the show, which yeah. kind of going back to your point about like, are we grading people in six feet under on a curve? A little bit. As friends go, Parker, you know, maybe not your first draft choice, Yeah, but in this, in this, yeah, she's a hell of a lot more loyal and, you than know, well-meaning else. than any of the other jabronis wandering around. Yeah. I want to answer your question about which is worse. Okay. I think they're both really bad. Yeah. I'm not trying to make a cop-out answer. But the reason I think they're both really bad 
is I think it's obvious that getting somebody pregnant, bringing a life into the world that you're not going to take responsibility for, that kid will now have to deal with that trauma from Jump Street. <laughs> that is not good. But in the example where you are having a bunch of random sex with people outside of your partnership when there is an understanding that it is a monogamous partnership. Literally walking off the street. Yeah. I'll take you. You're cute. Right. I mean, in that scenario, well, in that, in that scenario, it's like you, you, I, you're like fearful, fearful a little bit for Brenda's safety. Yeah, totally. But also, but I, yeah, mm -hmm. you're, you're exploiting the trust of somebody else. Mm -hmm. You're exploiting your partner's trust. And that is one of the most horrible things you can do to a person mm -hmm. is to exploit their trust mm -hmm. because they are always going to find out somehow they're going to find out. Mm -hmm. And when they do, it's going to destroy them. They're never going to be able to trust again. You're taking trust is one of the most important things we have in life. And you are taking that away from them forever. Yeah. I think that's awful. Where's my cell phone? I have some dates to cancel. <laughs> I was going to tell you, you going later. Out to see some raisins? I, was, I don't understand. Oh. Imagine if you were telling Coach Steve this information. Wow. That's yeah. a big mouth joke. Speaking yeah. of a show that has great characters. Which one did you say was worse? Uh, well, I didn't. But I but think I'm both, coming down in, on the side that the, the cheater is worse. The cheater is worse, Because yeah. you can't fix that. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You can't fix the taking away of another person's ability to trust. Mm -hmm. And... At least if you bring a child into the world, I'm not saying it's good, but Nate could, let's say Lisa has the kid, the first few years of the kid's life, the, the father is not in the kid's life, but mm -hmm. eventually Lisa invites Nate back into the kid's life and they are able to forge some kind of relationship and Nate is eventually able to explain this is why I wasn't able to be there from the beginning. There's a chance for some redemption there. Hmm. I don't really know that there's a chance for redemption in a situation where one person is systematically betraying the other one's trust. So that's my answer to your question. I think, yeah, I think the chronic cheater is worse because you do have an opportunity. Also, like... Again, they're both bad. They're both bad, but I think that you do have an opportunity to make that kid's life better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I would love to hear what other people say. Which is worse? FFG. FFG. At WALT.FM. Nailed it. I think in the, in the vein of all this stuff about transparency that we've been discussing, I think it was very darkly funny that in their first meeting with Ari, mm -hmm. she says to Brenda and Nate, you know, telling each other everything or communication is just... Honesty. Honesty is the most important thing. And Nate says, well, sure, that goes without saying. Ugh. And her point is like, no, that's... You gotta say it. You have to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, I think that does tie and back then, to the death at the beginning and to the yeah. Keith stuff and the David stuff. Yeah, and then Brenda is definitely like, no, we should keep some things private because it leaves a mystery. And it's like... Yeah, that... I, baby, I was, girl. It, no. No, no, no. No. But, but, I but mean, she's just never, cause I'm like, 
I think you and I are really good about telling each other everything, especially when we're kind of upset, mm-hmm. but it never, it never boils over. Mm-hmm. It's like, we just take care of it right then and there. And once you get past the vulnerability and you are able to be like extremely vulnerable with that person, it's like the relationship is just so much richer, but also Brenda's never, ever, ever experienced that. Right. She doesn't even know how to access that. Yeah. And to go back to this boundary idea, if she grew up in an environment where nothing was kept secret, yeah. then the idea of being able to have a secret must feel like the most valuable thing to her. Oh, that's a great point. That's a great point. And I think that I think that is maybe part of what she's realizing when she goes back to Nate at the end and says, like, I need you. Mm-hmm. I need you. Let's talk about Ruth. Yeah. This is a big Ruth episode. Big Ruth episode. Big Ruth energy. Do you agree with Claire's counselor that Ruth is depressed? Well, I think it's really interesting that he prompted the conversation with Ruth wants, with Claire is someone who wants meaning in their lives. And Ruth is also like, well, that's obvious. But I don't know if she is depressed because I am not a licensed therapist and she is a tv character but (laughs) no as we covered earlier these are real people (laughs) (laughs) i think that she doesn't have meaning in her life right now and i think maybe she thought she could have meaning Mm. with nikolai in the flower shop she looked for meeting with robbie and fucking find it she's learned a lot of like construction terms (laughs) And I think she's really searching for it and she's just not finding it. Right. Searching for it by trying to care for everybody. Well, I think that her love language is acts of service. Whether that is, that truly is her love language or that's just how she's learned to feel meaningful. But the first fucking thing she says anytime walks in is like, can I make you something to eat? But like when you're, you know, when you're older and you're an adult, you're like, no, I'm good. I'm I'm good. I know how to do this on my own. And I think that that, I think that Ruth has felt like part of her purpose is gone now because she can't make food for her kids and it can be that simple. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think that she just sees herself as valuable and useful. And I was like, well, if I can't make food for people, like, am I no longer useful? And Nate does extend an olive branch and he's like, yeah, make me a grilled cheese. And she picks up. She's in. She's in. And it goes back to what we were talking about last week. But I also think wait, 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 I also think that her being able to make food is a way of actually avoiding her children, because she doesn't need to like be fully engaged with them when right. she's she, cooking. Right, and she can tell herself, she can tell herself, "I'm a good mother." Yep, because I'm making food for my kids, providing for them in this way, and it keeps me from having to engage with the the messier stuff they might be dealing with. Totally. Oh, I just had a thought. We talk all the time about how Ruth's instinct is always to protect, but the person she's really protecting. Let's say at the same time. Is, is herself. Oh, my goodness. We spend so much time together. <laughs> We're going to get our periods together soon. I'm surprised Cycle, that hasn't happened. Cycles. Appearing cycles, again cycles, cycles. In the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, that also goes back to what we were talking about last week about her wanting to care for about her wanting to care for Nikolai because she did not get to care for Nathaniel Sr. True, 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 true. And also 
what we learned from her conversation slash confrontation with Sarah about how Ruth was the one who ended up having to take care of their mom. Right. Wait, can I, are there parallels between Nikolai and Nathaniel Sr.? Who is the other guy? Hiram. Hiram. Okay. I feel like out of those three, Nikolai and Nathaniel Sr. seem to be very similar to each other. And like, they both are business owners, but they also, Nathaniel Sr. seemed like a man who was like, I'm doing it my way. Yep. Like, I work alone. I'm doing it my way. I need someone to just yep. help me with these little things. I got some off the books shady stuff that I exactly. do. Don't exactly. worry about it too much. Right. I pay for funerals for private room spaces, whatever. Yep. So, excuse me. And Hiram was not like that. Hiram treated Ruth really, really well and seemed to really care for her. And for some reason, she was like not used to that or receptive to it. So I think that she's attracted to Nikolai because it's again a cycle. Right. It's again like right. this cycle right. of men that she's attracted to are too busy for her, are emotionally avoidant, put her down. Because right. I feel like the conversation that the first scene, right, is of Nathaniel Sr. and Ruth on the phone. And he's like, kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So I think that she's just like, she's caught in that cycle. Right. Are you smoking? She says. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, Ruth. Yeah. Um, let's talk also briefly about the anthrax moment. Oh, yeah. There's not a whole lot to say here, but the depressed guy, another person who's depressed yeah. for good reason. He's dying of pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Says to Nate, I, th- you know, the, what's the point of human life? Or he's being incredibly defeatist about yeah. there being too many people. And he says. He was like, anthrax, smallpox. Yeah. But anthrax. I was like, I have to watching this in 2021, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You don't even know. You don't Sarah. even know. I would not wish a plague upon anyone at this point. But the anthrax, anthrax reference was definitely influenced by the fact that anthrax lived very large yeah. in the popular imagination back in 2002. Definitely. Because of, in the aftermath of the September 11th attacks, there were those anthrax attacks. Yeah. And it's just another little reminder from the show that it knows the world it's living in, even if it doesn't talk about that totally. thing. And that the reason I kind of wanted to bring that up is because it ties back to that conversation we were having about whether Six Feet Under will sustain for years and years and years as a show and in the way that Honeymooners and Mad Men and these other shows may or may not. And it hadn't occurred to me in that moment, but the anthrax thing made me think there is a way in which Six Feet Under is purposely existing a little bit unstuck in time. Mm -hmm. Because it was hard to tell stories that weren't about September 11th. When yeah. September 11th happened. Yeah. It was one of the most saturating events that we've been alive for. Yeah. And so it was a choice to not do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that gives a little clue about Alan Ball's thought process in terms of how transcendent he thought the stories he was telling were going to be. We got to get him on. Alan. Yo. Call us or email us. Or- FFG at WALT. Dot. 
M. Folks, thank you, as always, for listening to Fisher Family Ghosts. We love talking to you. Mm-hmm. You can reach us at ffg at walt.fm. And you can, if you can't get enough of these two sultry voices, you can hear more of them in other places. Isn't that right, Adrian Bain? Why, that is true, Sam Dingman. Welcome back, Moira. That's the sultry voice that you wanted? I think of that as a uh, smokier voice. Smoky. <laughs> I didn't mean it in a smoker's cough oh, way. Wait, I'm confused. Then. Um, <laughs> yes, so I have another podcast. It is a narrative travel podcast that you should listen to now that we can kind of sort of go out and travel a little bit more. I would still suggest to stay in the board in in our borders. Because things are weird elsewhere. So if you would like to listen, it is called Strangers Abroad. And I think next week, I'm going to put out a new episode. So... Get those feeds ready, folks. Get those feeds ready. I would love some subscribers, some raters and reviewers. It is of the adventure that Sam and I took back in March and April. And I would love for you guys to... Take a listen. Adrian has been buzzing about this episode for several weeks. I can't wait to hear it. So, Strangers Abroad is where you can find it. I also have another podcast. It is called Family Ghosts. I hope you will listen to it. I already talked about it enough in this episode. I will say nothing more about it other than thank you to those of you who listened to both that show and this one. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Until then... Stay six feet above. Copyright 2021. Unofficial co-host Tracy.